Exclusive interviews with the guys on the field. Thinking about that play, it, it, it's, uh, it's painful. High point, obviously, uh, whenever you've been on a team that's won a Super Bowl. Man, you never know when this game is going to end. you got to take full advantage of it when you can. Greg Matzek goes one-on-one with your favorite Packer players. Sponsored by Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. And welcome in to another Packers exclusive one-on-one. Greg Matzik with you, and over the next hour, we'll connect with the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larrabee. You talk about a remarkable career. Wayne has done football for the Kansas City Chiefs, the Chicago Bears, now the Green Bay Packers. Of course, is a popular national voice as well. Not only in the NFL, but college basketball and so much more. Oh, we start with this season. The Packers got off to a 4-6 and six start. Backs against the wall. They somehow made it to the playoffs. Behind a remarkable turnaround, what were Wayne's thoughts when the team was four and six and limping along? Let's go back to when the team was four and six. Uh, you know, they didn't really have many chips to cash at that point, and that was uh, the message that was sent throughout uh, Packer Nation. But what did you see in this team? Were you more surprised the team was four and six, or are you more surprised at the seven-game winning streak? No, not the uh, with all the injuries they had and the way they had to try to reinvent themselves. Um, you know, it just looked to me like they had too many injuries on the defensive side of the football to really get a season turned around. And, you know, in that four-game losing streak, they didn't look good in losing four in a row. I don't know how you ever do look good losing four in a row, but they weren't even close in some of those games. And so, uh, yeah, the turnaround was pretty surprising. When Aaron Rodgers said, uh, you know, I think we might run the table, I said to myself, what's he saying that for? I mean, what evidence does he have that they can win another game, much less run the table? But he certainly knew something we all didn't. Well, in, in Rodgers' name, gets rightfully thrown into the MVP discussion because of this turnaround. 19 touchdowns, no interceptions, if you include the playoffs in the seven-game winning streak. But I think you also have to look at what Mike McCarthy did here, too. And when the Packers faced Dallas in Week 6, still kind of uncertain. Is this an up-tempo offense? Is it uh, more of a multiple personnel group? Uh, It seems like a lot of credit here has to be given to Mike McCarthy and uh, his idea for how to turn this thing around, and then of course the players have to execute it. Well, remember back when they played Dallas, they still had Eddie Lacy, so they were they were a team that was going about its business in a certain way uh, that's much different from today. And and you're right, Greg. They they had no identity even back then um, of what they were going to do and what they were. They came out of training camp, and it's kind of odd, but it's it's actually understandable in that these days, and this is not just germane to the Packers, but nobody plays their offensive starters and defensive starters a whole lot during preseason games. And I think what this does is it leaves you going into the opener, going into the first month of the season with a big question mark. I honestly think those coaches sit there and say, wow, I hope we have what I think we have, but I don't know. You know, I, you just don't know. In the offense itself, and I found in talking to Aaron Rodgers, I think that you know he felt also that they – were in the first month of the season just trying to get their legs under them offensively because they played like all of about two or three series in the entire preseason. And But that's just the way teams have to be prepared for games now because the bigger, faster, stronger means one thing, Greg. It's not a better game today than it was 30 years ago. Not even close. It's not nearly that good. Bigger, faster, stronger means more injuries. So you have more trepidation in, in not just practice, but in games themselves, and that enters into the preseason equation of why people don't play their starters. Has that hurt the NFL in any way? Yeah. When- mm-hmm. Yeah, the game's not what it used to be. It's not executed as well. The fundamentals aren't as good. You have much better athletes. You have faster, stronger, bigger athletes. I mean, you know, Snacks Harrison, I saw him go from one side of Lambeau Field to the other. This is a 370-pound man running like a wide receiver out there. So you have some incredible athletes, Greg, but what you have are uh, incredible explosive hits 
and that knocks people out. The bodies are still the same, still flesh and blood. You know, this isn't a video game. These guys are moving faster, they're stronger, and the bodies are still the bodies, flesh and blood and bones, and they get broken. Well, and, and it's, it, look, injuries are, it's not a new movie in Green no. Bay. They've dealt with it before. Does that make this run, not only the seven-game winning streak, but just how many consecutive years they've been to the playoffs, all oh, the yeah. more impressive? I mean, it's just rare in this day and age. It is. The Patriots and the Packers are the only two teams who have made the playoffs each of the last uh, eight years, and I think Seattle is next in line at five straight playoff appearances. It's it's incredibly hard, and I, I think that our fan base may be in, in us, and let me put myself into this category, we almost take this for granted in that, okay, it's the birthright of the Packers to be in the playoffs every January, and nothing could be further from the truth. It's a remarkable run by a, a great coaching staff, but especially great players who have uh, persevered. And this season is one of the most incredible of the 38 seasons I've done in the NFL. I've never seen a team come off of a stretch where they have lost five or six, including four in a row, and really looked bad doing it, and turned around and won seven straight. I've never seen, not of a team I've covered, I've never seen that happen. You you get in the middle of the season, you lose five out of six and four in a row, your te- your, your season's going down the tubes. Well, it's certainly possible that Jordy Nelson won't be able to play. Uh, we'll find out here as the week goes on, but that was a pretty nasty shot that he took. Mm-hmm. But it appears as if the Packers are a little better equipped this year than maybe they were a year ago. You remember, divisional round last year, they didn't have Jordy, they didn't have Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb got hurt, and they didn't have Jared Cook either, so... It just seems like a, a a much different group than it was a year ago. Maybe better prepared to handle it. I think you're right, Greg, and I think a, a big key to that is Jared Cook and his ability to be the guy in the slot or the tight end come, running the seam or even move him outside as a wide receiver and see how they match up against him there. Um, so I think that's number one. Number two is Devontae Adams, his maturation. You know, he finally came into his own this year. Has he dropped a couple of passes here and there? Yeah, he has. Everybody drops passes. Jordy dropped four of them in the Super Bowl. He would have set the record for receiving yardage in the Super Bowl had he not dropped about four passes in that game, <laughs> as great as day as he had. So they all drop it uh, every once in a while. The problem with Devontae is when he would drop a pass a year or two ago, it, 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 it's kind of like a golfer, okay? The re, the difference between an amateur golfer and a pro golfer, the pro golfer hits a bad shot, and that's the end of it. The next shot is going to be good because he's forgotten about the last one. Us, we hit a bad shot, we're thinking about it, and the next shot, and the shot after that, and the shot after that. That was Devontae Adams. You know, he'd drop a pass, he'd lose confidence, and, and that's what it was all about with him. Now, you know, I see a, a guy who's a little more mentally resilient and a guy who's now starting to play to his abilities. This is what they expected of him when they drafted him in the second round. Coming up next. For me, it was kind of natural because if you were to talk to anybody, they would tell you, I've always said that was the one job I would, you know, drop any other job for and go do. From Chicago to Green Bay. It's after this on our Packers exclusive one-on-one. Now, more of Packers one-on-one with Greg Matzik, sponsored by fellow windows and doors of Wisconsin. And welcome back to the program. Greg Matzik with you, joined by Wayne Larrabee, the voice of the Green Bay Packers, who was at one time the voice of the Chicago Bears. That's an interesting transition, given the rivalry and whatnot. Was there any backlash from the fans when a guy made a move from Chicago to Green Bay? So I, I don't want to you know, gloss over the time in Chicago here. I know that was a very important time. But when you made the move from the Bears to the Packers, mm-hmm. and just given the way the rivalry was, especially in you know the way it formulated in the 80s, and that's when I was watching it, and you know the hit list on Charles Martin's towel and all that. Right. 
I don't know if that rivalry and that vitriol extended to the broadcast teams, but <laughs> but you were viewed as Bears property, I'm sure. So yeah. was that was that difficult to win over fans in Green Bay coming from the enemy? I think it was harder for the fans in Green Bay probably to accept that. I'm probably not the right person to ask. For me, it was kind of natural because if you were to talk to anybody that I've known over the years, my college friends to my wife, they would tell you that, you know, that was, I've always said that was the one job I would, you know, drop any other job for and go do with the Packers on the radio in Green Bay. Uh, that, w- that was the number one job for me my entire career. So when this opened, it was very natural for me. I didn't realize the uh, vitriol in Chicago would happen or, or uh, that there would be consternation up here. I, I found it kind of odd that people thought that, uh, um, you know, they were wondering how I could be, you know, come to the Packers, and, and they were kind of looking at me in a rather negative light when, you know, actually it was a compliment to them and to the Packers that I would leave Chicago uh, for Green Bay. I, I think there's a, an association that you're, because you're the broadcaster of a team, you're a fan of that team. Mm-hmm. And and really in this business, you, you have to kind of separate fandom from your profession yeah. and what you do. But that does seem, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about market size and moving up markets yeah. and, and where you want to be. Well, you left the number three market in the country. Yeah, to go for, to, for to Green go to Milwaukee, Bay. So, Green Bay. Yeah, yeah. so that, that's that's the power of the franchise, I imagine. Yeah, it was. It, it certainly was. And and but to me, Greg, um, it would have been that way anyway. Now, forget about the the winning they did in the '90s under you know with Brett Favre and Reggie White and all that. It, it was a very it's a great um, market and a, and a great franchise and it is a national franchise and and it was when I was a kid growing up. It was a national franchise when color TV came online in the mid '60s. The Packers exploded on the, the scene um, with the Lombardi and all those great championship teams. So they were very much a national team. But in the 30 years after that, before Ron Wolf and people got in control here, um, you know, they were kind of there was a there was this national following of Packers people that was a rather dormant, kind of like the franchise was, you know, moribund. And you know, until they once they started winning again in the 90s, there was this great surge. If I remember from watching it from Chicago, there was this great surge of interest and and appeal of the Packers franchise. It wasn't just Brett Favre and Reggie White. It was all those people who grew up as kids in the 60s following the Lombardi Packers and finally the Packers were a team worth uh, following again. Coming up next, I call it the ultimate team sport in uh, broadcasting. He's called just about every sport, so what's the most difficult? More with Wayne Larvey after this on WTMJ. You're listening to Packers One-on-One with Greg Matzik, sponsored by fellow windows and doors of Wisconsin. Our WTMJ exclusive Packers One-on-One continues. Greg Matzik joined by the voice of the Packers, Wayne Larvey, who grew up in the eastern seaboard and ultimately made his way back to the Midwest. And football, college basketball, baseball, hockey, you name it, Wayne has pretty much called it all. But what does he love most and what might be the most challenging? So Chiefs, Bears, Packers, Hawkeyes, high school football, Bulls, NCAA, Monday Night Football on the radio, (laughs) TV and radio you've done. So what is the most challenging combination of sport and medium to broadcast? I think the most challenging is football on TV because it is a huge endeavor. Um, you're talking about, you know, maybe 15, 20 camera guys. You're talking about a, a producer, a director, a sound guy. You're talking statisticians. You're talking coordination of graphics and everything else. Uh, plus, you're working with your analyst. Television, I've come off telecast and uh, been exhausted mentally. 
And I've never come off a radio broadcast where I've been exhausted, yet I've talked more. There's more energy physically in a radio broadcast because of the way you have to describe the action. But in television, you have so much more to think about, so many more people to put on the same page. I call it the ultimate team sport in uh, broadcasting. You, uh, you've done some NCAA basketball. Uh, I know you've done the games when they've been in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. uh, tournament returning to Milwaukee this year. How complex is that? Because if you're talking about you know teams from all over the country, mm-hmm. and you got about uh, you know two three days to get ready, yeah. and it's multiple teams that you may or may not have followed throughout the year, different players. I mean, it's and it's boom, 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 game after game after game, uh, and all nationally televised. That has to be just a remarkable challenge. It is. It's uh, you know it's funny because you 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 really you hope you see a couple of teams from your region. That you've seen, or maybe I, if one year I was covering the uh, uh, during the regular season, I was doing some um, Pac-12 games, and you know I happened to be hooked up at a tournament out there, and so uh, there were teams from the Pac-12 in that tournament that really helped a lot. But you've got eight teams on a Thursday or Friday morning, starting and it'll go all day, uh, and you do one game after another, and you're hoping you're familiar with a couple of them. You're hoping you see a couple of others that maybe you haven't seen, but they kind of catch you, you know, just the players, that type of thing. And, and you you prepare round the clock. It's like final exams in college. That three or four days, and then you go and you see practices, and then you do the games the following day. It, have you cut back a little bit? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Years? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, not always by my <laughs> volition, but uh, yeah, I have. And you know, I don't do the college football um, telecasts anymore, and, um, and and I really wouldn't want to. I, I'd like to do a little bit more basketball than I do, but um, nonetheless, I think it's been easier for to focus in on Packers. And I've really enjoyed it a lot more the last couple of years. Was there ever a point where travel almost caused you to miss a game? Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, (laughs) This is back now. Part of the reason why you can't do what I used to do, I used to do games, uh, I'd do three or four games in a weekend and sometimes two games in a day. I'd do a Big Ten game in Ohio State in the afternoon and a Bulls game in Chicago that night. But that's when you had airlines. That's when you had more than like four airlines that have condensed everything into one flight a day, one place a day. You know what I mean? It's just really hard to get around the country anymore and do that stuff. Some of the guys still do it with ESPN and and some others. Dave Pash, a good friend of mine, still does it with the Arizona uh, Cardinals, and he also does an ESPN major ESPN television package. But it's really hard to do because of the flights. Okay, let me give you the story. This is uh, way back. I'm doing the Bulls in Chicago on a Saturday night, and the Packers are at San Francisco the next day. Okay, well, I line it up the next morning. I've got five flights that can get me from Chicago to San Francisco starting at 6.30 in the morning. So I'm on the first one at 6.30. Well, that one gets delayed and then eventually canceled. I go to the next one, and that something happens there. I go to the one after that, something happens there. I finally get on a flight that gets me out there just in the nick of time. Tom Hecker, who was our statistician at that time, picks me up at the airport, and we're talking now an hour before game time, and now we're flying down the expressway to get to Candlestick in time, and I barely walked in in time. And after that, they uh, they said, uh, well, I think now, from now on, Wayne, you have to be in the Packers city the night before the game. <laughs> so that was kind of the end of that. Yeah, that's got to be nerve-wracking. It was. Right? It's oh, out of gosh, your, It's yeah. out of your hands. Oh, I know. It was nerve-wracking for Larry McCarron, too, who almost had to do the play-by-play. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how far down the he depth. Was pretty, he was madder than anyone else about that. <laughs> right. I wonder how far down the depth chart I would be on that list to, to do a game. But, well, you weren't in San Francisco uh, that no, day. I so uh, yeah. I would have enjoyed it. Uh, all, all the traveling that you've done, all the games, I mean, you've covered some remarkable events. You have Super Bowl rings to show for it. Was, was it 
Was it ever tough on on family though? I mean, you have you had two mm-hmm. sons and, and you know young boys during the time where you were with the Bears and then got to Green Bay. Was that tricky to try and balance? It was, yeah. And you know, you miss some things. There's no question about that. But you know, the kids they're used to what you're doing for a living, so it's not like all of a sudden in the middle of their childhood I was gone doing games. Um, you know, they understood that all the way through. And the Cubs, when I was uh, filling in on Cubs games, they had this trip out west. Every summer they would take the families, take a separate plane and take the families. And so um, we were on the plane with the Cubs, uh, our family, going out west for this West Coast trip. And the plane needed fuel or something happened, and we had to stop in Kansas City. So here we are in the middle of the night in, on the tarmac in Kansas City, and, and the kids are playing catch with Sammy Sosa and the members of the Cubs on the tarmac. And, they, you know, that's a trip they still talk about to this day and going to the ballpark and, and uh, being in San Diego and then go to L.A. the next uh, trip and, and the next, uh, you know, uh, set of games. And they really that was something they really enjoyed. So there were some benefits to it as well. But, yeah, definitely all those Friday nights when I'm out doing basketball or going on my way to a college football game, you know, that's when um, the kids and and Julie would would basically get up into the car. They'd go out to to get dinner at McDonald's probably and then stop by at Toys R Us, you know, not necessarily buy anything, but to just look at what's going on there, what's happening. So that became their tradition. Yeah, you've been in the Midwest since, you know, the mid-'70s and, and, you know, the greater Milwaukee, little north area, has kind of been your home here for, uh, geez, for almost 18 years. Yeah, almost, almost 20, 20 years. years now. So yeah. does it does it feel like home? I know Boston's that area out in Massachusetts, that's that's home to you proper, but you, you have really ingrained yourself in the community here as well. Does it feel like home? It Yeah, I, I, it does, um, you know, more so than – and, you know, it, it's hard because, like I said, I grew up in Massachusetts, grew up – I, I expected I'd go to the Midwest because that's the way you climbed up in the business back then. I always thought I'd go smaller markets and kind of work your way up and, and, and ply your trade and play-by-play, and then that's how you would do it. It's done differently today. Um, but, no, you know, um, I think being in the Midwest, yeah, it, it's definitely home uh, for us. And my wife is from Topeka, Kansas, so – it's home for her, and, and the kids grew up in the Midwest. And uh, I remember my son, Scott, when we were about to make this move to uh, the Packers, you know, he was considering going to Penn State. Um, and, you know, he ultimately, he graduated from high school the year we moved into Wisconsin. And so he he decided to go to Wisconsin instead of Penn State for that reason. And, you know, so it worked out well. Coming up next, I'm the only New Englander you will ever meet that hates the Red Sox and grew up a Green Bay Packers fan. He's a New Englander trapped in a Yankees fan's body. More with Wayne Larvey after this on WTMJ. This is Packers One-on-One with Greg Matzik, sponsored by Fellow Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. And welcome back to our Packers exclusive one-on-one. Greg Matzik joined by the voice of the Packers, Wayne Larvey, who grew up in Massachusetts but was for some reason a Yankee fan. Well, how does that work out? We'll talk more about the uh, the game coming up a little bit later in the hour, but uh, take me back to Lee, Massachusetts. You, <laughs> you, you've made your home in the Midwest since the, the late 70s, but mm-hmm. prior to that, uh, you were in the Boston area for college at Emerson College. Uh, you grew up in western Massachusetts right. in Lee, which I guess is closer to New York than maybe Boston, so maybe that's how you became a Yankees fan. It, it's almost, Berkshire <laughs> County is almost equidistant. And, you know, it's what's amazing about Berkshire County is there's not a major regionalism in this little county in western Massachusetts because it's almost equidistant between Boston, a tremendous regionalism, and New York, just as a distinct a regionalism. So all of us in, in the Berkshires, you know, we have kind of, yeah, I'm sure we have a little bit of a regionalism, but not much. It's It's kind of Midwest standard type of thing. 
Um, but no, I grew up in the in um, Western Massachusetts. But I'm a contrarian, Greg. I'm the only New Englander you will ever meet uh, that does not like seafood, <laughs> does not watch a lot of hockey, uh, hates the Red Sox, loves the Yankees, uh, and grew up a Green Bay Packers fan. Now you won't meet anyone from New England answering all five of those criteria except me. Okay, so what what is New England? Right? Can you can you define it? Is it a oh, territory? Yeah. A region? It's a territory. It's a region. It's a whole region of the country up there in the Northeast. It's what, just, what does it encompass? It encompasses Connecticut to Maine, and it's uh, it's a beautiful part of the country, one of the most beautiful parts of the country I've ever seen. Um, but you know, of course, growing up there, we never appreciated it until we left. But um, no, it, it's a great area. It's uh, you know, blue collar, hardworking. It is. Um, it's a mix of liberal and uh, conservative thinking and uh, politicking. Um, but nonetheless, it's uh, it's a great area of people, great area to grow up in, in, in a wonderful area. So there, there's only about 4,000 colleges and universities yeah. in the Boston area. So how did you decide on Emerson? <laughs> well, I, I, I was I was uh, trying to get my parents to let me go to a, a junior college down near Fenway Park, but that didn't happen. They wanted me to go to a four-year school. So Emerson was it. Um, Emerson was a place I went because the, the difference between an Emerson College and a Syracuse was that at Emerson, I could, in the first semester, try out for the, the radio station and get on the air and do some things to find out if I could really do this or wanted to do this and that type of thing. A- Emerson's very hands-on. And today, it's a school, Greg, that, uh, number one, I could not get into academically, and number two, probably wouldn't be able to afford. And it's also been ranked the last two years by USA Today as the number one um, uh, journalism school in the nation. So it's it's in downtown Boston has access to all that Boston has to offer, and it was a wonderful place to go to school. So you graduated, if I'm right, 1977 mm-hmm. from Emerson, and then you started working for the Kansas City Chiefs. There was no minor league. How did that happen? No, there was. I went to Pampa, Texas for okay. a semester. I took a semester out of school in 1975, which was good timing on my part because the Red Sox went to the World Series, <laughs> and I would have had to put up with that with all my friends back in Boston. And I just, uh, you know, the one saving grace about going to college in Boston for me was New York sends its kids to Boston to school. And so I had a lot of, you know, New Yorkers in Boston with me. But nonetheless, no, I I went to Pampa, Texas, took a semester out. I got a job uh, doing Friday Night Lights, and it was great. Pampa, Texas is a town of 25,000 people, or it was then. The two tallest structures in town were the grain elevators and the press box of the football stadium. Every Friday night, 15,000 people showed up to watch the Pampa Harvesters play. It was great. It was a great experience. You can't do high school football in a better situation than Texas. So was was that your resume tape, for lack of a better term, for yeah. Kansas City? Because you were hired by the Chiefs. No, because when I got out of college, I was, you know, welcome back to Pampa, but I got a job out in Davenport, Iowa, doing Iowa football. This is back before there were uh, – be- before your time, I mean, it used to be, I think Wisconsin had three or four different originations of their games, and Iowa had 13. Almost oh. every town in Iowa had a different broadcast origination. So this was a great opportunity. I come out of college, I've got some commercial experience, and they hire me to do this job, and, and I did that for a year, and it was great. And uh, then I was able to get into Kansas City. So what were you, were you 23, mm-hmm. maybe, doing NFL football? Was that rare for, it seems like a lot of the broadcasting teams that I listened to growing up, they just seemed like they'd always been there. Yeah. Uh, was 23 early? Was that prodigy like to break in? Well, I'll tell you how the story of how I got there. Um, you know, I, there was this publication, I don't even know if it's still around, Broadcasting Magazine, where uh, they would list, you know, all kinds of different things in broadcasting, including a, a 
job uh, wanted uh, type section, you know, job openings, that type of thing. Well, I noticed Kansas City Chiefs job was open, and it said on the uh, – uh, on the uh, detail of, of of the job opening, a description of it, they said, well, you must have at least major college football experience. And so I said, well, I just got done doing the Big Ten. So I said, I pulled together a, an audition tape. I sent it down to Kansas City, and, and then I got a form letter back two weeks later. And I said, okay, that's fine. And and so two months later, I saw the same job was still open. So this time I had the, the name of the guy who was, you know, screening people, and I had, uh, you know, the letterhead and phone number. So I called him up and said, would you mind if I reapplied? And he was kind of taken aback by that. A guy by the name of Tom uh, Barsani, he was kind of taken aback by that, and he said, uh, yeah, well, yeah, go ahead, I, that's fine. And so I sent the same tape I had because it was the only good tape I had. And this time I got a call back, and they wanted more tape and more tape, and this went on for three months. And what it came down to is they were trying to convince the Chiefs that um, – they wanted to hire me at 23 years old to come in and do their games, and the Chiefs are thinking, oh, there's just no way we could that could happen. But um, they convinced the Chiefs that this 23-year-old guy would come in. Instead of a guy like Ray Scott who would come in and do the games and leave on Sunday night, uh, this guy would be part of the community, that type of thing, and it worked out really well. Coming up next. I couldn't see it very well. Oh, he couldn't see who had the ball. Is there a call that Wayne wishes he had back? We'll talk about it after this on WTMJ. This is Packers One-on-One with Greg Matzek, sponsored by fellow windows and doors of Wisconsin. And welcome back in. WTMJ's Packers One-on-One exclusive continues. Greg Matzek and the voice of the Packers, Wayne Larvey. Brilliant calls left and right from Wayne. Of course, cast the dagger every time the Packers are set to win a ball game. And has been on a national stage for a number of years, calling just about everything, as we've discussed. Is there ever a call Wayne wishes he had back? Do you listen back to games at all? Yeah, I do. Um, I listen back um, probably a few minutes each week or thereabouts, um, and generally just to get a feel for uh, are we communicating well. I mean, the best time when I really listen to t- games is I'll pop in a, a tape when in June, okay, long after the season of some game in the middle of the regular season. I don't know what happened, don't remember what happened, and I'll pop in that tape and I'll listen to our broadcast, and then I can hear it like a real listener. When I'm listening during the season now, I listen for about 10 or 15 minutes. I'm, I'm listening for the technical aspects, okay? Did I give the yard line? Did I tell you how many yards he made? Did I tell you what down is coming up? Who made the tackle? Who had the ball? That type of thing. That's what I'm looking for there. Is there ever, uh, in your mind, a call you wish you had back? Oh, many. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the first Hail Mary in Detroit was a call I wish I had back because I couldn't see it very well. We couldn't see who had the ball. Uh, and, you know, we were just screen- we were almost too close to it because we were screened by the bodies. We needed to be back a little bit toward the opposite end zone, and then we would have seen it a lot better. Meanwhile, Randall Cobb, I, he happened to be a, on the uh, you know, left side of the north end zone right in front of us, basically, and I saw his number clearly, and he made that catch, uh, you know, last weekend against the Giants. So the, the, the big thing is being able to see something. You, you know, the, the real what worries me, especially on a big play like a Hail Mary like that, you know, the worst thing you could do is call the wrong number, you know. And so I took a lot of flack for not being as excited as people thought I should have been. When I listened back to it, it was a pretty good call, and ESPN used it on their playoff promo that year. Well, and I know we use uh, your call to end the Super Bowl a few years back with time melting away, and it's just a, uh, a vivid picture. When you prepare for a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. it is 
that's 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 a different category of game, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's your same basic listenership, I would assume. Yep. Uh, but it's just a, a grander stage. Is there extra preparation? Is there extra thought to, boy, if we win, I, I got to have something here, or do you just kind of let it flow? No, I and I think most guys would tell you that um, who are honest would tell you that you kind of prepare something, Greg, but you don't necessarily write it down. And you don't, you, you've got things you're thinking about during the week. If this happened, you know, how you might say something on the air. It's nothing that you write down. It's nothing that you memorize. But you have some thoughts in your brain as to, okay, if the Packers are going to win this Super Bowl now, what are you going to say? You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So there's a little bit of that uh, that goes into it. But it's nothing that's written down and prepared. Who is your dream team? If you could pick a team to do any sport, a broadcast team, be it a uh, someone in a, in a lead role like yours or an analyst? Or, you, you, who are the folks that, that you really listen to and say, wow, those guys just nail it every time they do it? I think uh, Al Michaels is one. Um, I think Joe Buck, and I know this is not popular to say around here, especially this week, but Joe Buck to me is uh, one of the most versatile and classy broadcasters. I've known him since he was doing the Cardinals and I was doing the Cubs years ago. He's just, uh, I think he's clever. He's great. He's uh, he, He's right on with everything he does. And I really like their team and their presentation of football. I, I really do. Um, and I think they get unduly criticized. I don't know why around here, but they do. And uh, But I think they're sensational. Al Michaels probably the best still, even at this. Uh, he's almost, I think he's 70, uh, thereabouts. He's really good. Um, you know, uh, on radio, I, I really like, I think, uh, you know, Kevin Kugler does a great job on Westwood One. Um, Kevin Harlan's a great broadcaster, versatile. Love his, his basketball is tremendous. Um, you know, so, and I always, I have a soft spot for Kevin Harlan because he and I worked together in Kansas City when he was sure. still a student at the University of Kansas. Bob Eucher has been an institution in oh, you know, yeah. the state of Wisconsin. And, and Greg, of- nobody has ever sounded better uh, at 80 some years old, with yeah. the exception of Vin Scully, than Bob Eucher sounds. Yeah, you know, I was just going to bring that up. I feel like you know, Vin Scully is, I mean, he's a national treasure. Oh, yeah. Um, I feel like Bob Euchre is as well. I, I don't feel like he's as celebrated nationally, mm-hmm. perhaps like he should. I don't know if Milwaukee, uh, the market, has anything to do with it versus L.A., and it, it certainly might. But I, I feel like you, when you're listening to Bob Euchre, and I really do feel like when I'm listening to you, I'm getting a lot of out of the, out of the broadcast. Not only do I know what's going on, but I'm entertained. And at the end of the day, it's it's an entertainment business. Yeah. And I feel like the the group we have in the state of Wisconsin calling games, and that includes Matt LePay with Wisconsin mm-hmm. and uh, Ted Davis with the Bucks. I, I mean, it's an unbelievably talented group. Yeah, uh, you know, and I think Jeff Levering with the uh, Brewers is an up and coming guy that's really good. And uh, you know, yeah, I think you're right, Greg. There's some really good people who have uh, broadcast games here. You know, Jim Paskey on TV has been at it for 30 years down there with the Bucks, and you know we. We do have a, a good group of people. Uh, that's the thing I would say. Brian Anderson is uh, is another guy is as good as it gets at doing a number of different sports. I think he's excellent. Um, you know, I love rock on baseball. I think he's he's tremendous. And uh, you know, so we're very fortunate. If I was growing up here, if I was a kid growing up here, and the Brewers and all these Wisconsin teams are my teams, I'd be really happy with uh, the different broadcasts that we have in the state. I think right. they're very good. Coming up next. You know, that was amazing what the Packers did, and they did that without Jordy Nelson. We'll look ahead to the Dallas Cowboys divisional round matchup and see just how far this Packers team can go through the eyes of the voice of the team. This is Packers One-on-One with Greg Matzik, sponsored by fellow windows and doors of Wisconsin. 
And wrapping things up here on our Packers exclusive one-on-one, Greg Matzik and the voice of the Packers, Wayne Larvey. Big matchup for the Packers against the Cowboys on Sunday afternoon. What does Wayne feel this team has in store on Sunday? And can the Packers make a Super Bowl run? Uh, I looked at the injury report today. I, I don't know that many teams can boast this, but here we are in week 20-something of the season, and all 53 rostered players for the Cowboys practice yeah. uh, throughout the week. And that's part of the reason why they're the number one seed here in the NFC. They and the New England Patriots are the two healthiest teams. And New England is without Gronkowski, but they, everybody else is intact on that roster. And that is a big reason why those two teams are seeded number one. Doesn't mean they're going to win, but they're seeded number one. And part of it is that they're good and their people have stayed healthy most of the year. The Cowboys have overcome some injuries in their secondary, but those guys are back now. And it'll be interesting to see how sharp they are this weekend because Aaron Rodgers will test them. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I was going to ask you, can any team right now left uh, on the NFC side limit the Packers to under 30 points? It seems like with regularity they Mm -hmm. can just knock off any defense put in front of them. Greg, I think the best defense I saw the second half of the season was the New York Giants. They were playing at a very, very high level. And once the Packers got on track, they just destroyed that group. I mean, they really put 406 yards on the board against that defense, 300-plus yards and net yards in passing. That was amazing. And Aaron took five sacks in that game. So, you know, that was amazing what the Packers did. And they did that without Jordy Nelson. And we talked earlier about how they're better equipped, I think, right now to handle the loss of Jordy Nelson, whereas a year ago they were not. Um, so I, I really think they've got a good shot at going into Dallas. Dallas is very good defense. And you look at the numbers, they're fine. They're top five. They're, you know, they're right up there with everybody. But, um, I think the Packers feel like they have a good shot at this game. Well, and my wonder is, will we see enough of Aaron Rodgers in the offense on the field, given how Dallas can run the ball? You look how the Packers defense the Giants and put a lot of bodies in the secondary mm-hmm. and said, go ahead, try it. Go ahead. Try and run on us. Yeah. Well, Dallas can. It's just a different animal than the Giants have. There's more balance there, I think, with Dallas. There's more balance, and, uh, you know, I I honestly think in Dallas's case uh, with Zeke Elliott, he's going to make Dom Capers put an extra body in the the box. You have to, at least on early downs. And it wouldn't surprise me to see Jason Garrett come out and call passing plays on first and second downs and that type of thing, where you would expect them to run, but maybe they pass in this situation. It's probably because... They've got an extra safety in the box, and and, uh, there's a little more room downfield. Rookie quarterback, rookie running back in Dallas. Des Bryant didn't play in Week 6. He's back on the field. The rookie angle of the storyline, is that much of a storyline at this stage of the game? Just looking at these two guys, um, I don't think so, Greg, because you know Dak Prescott has shown you all kinds of maturity, uh, way beyond his years, way beyond where he was picked in the draft. And I I would be surprised if he... uh, if he uh, coughs out the bit, you know, I think he's going to be, uh, I think he'll be him. I think he'll be fine. Uh, Zeke, you know, he'll run. I mean, runners, they, they, those guys are one of a kind, and, and he's he's just an outstanding, talented runner. I don't think he'll have a problem in terms of being, the moment being too big for those two kids at all. Now, will they beat the Packers? I mean, Packers are playing really well right now, and they're they're on a roll. And what you wonder about with teams that get by weeks, and I've seen it uh, both ways, Sometimes it refreshes you. A lot of times you come out and you're a little stale. It takes you a while to get going. Well, Wayne, I hope this is not your only trip to uh, the state of Texas here in the <laughs> yeah. next month or so. Uh, it'd be great to talk about another Super Bowl run. Hey, it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking out the time. I know it's a busy week. but uh, And also, thank you for being uh, not only a friend but a mentor to me in this business. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's yeah. great. Great to be with you, Greg. We are out of time on our Packers exclusive one-on-one. want to thank the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larrabee, for being our guest 
If you missed today's conversation, you can check it out online in the Packers section at WTMJ.com. Until next time, I'm Greg Matzik.